Hello and welcome to another edition of the Shattered Lives podcast. I'm Paul Healy, crime correspondent with the Irish Daily Star and Irish Mirror newspapers. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Eric Montalvo, a decorated soldier who served 21 years in the United States Marine Corps. He's also a former prosecutor and is now a well-known American lawyer who's worked on all manner of cases, from complex international issues to taking on the defense of infamous Guantanamo Bay prisoner Mohammed Jawad. But now Eric is taking on perhaps the biggest challenge of his career, taking the legal fight to the heart of the Kinhen cartel. For the past two years, he's fought tooth and nail in his efforts to sue mob boss Daniel Kinhen on behalf of two American boxing managers who say the mobster effectively stole their fighter. There have been many twists and turns in this case, and it could see Kinnahan having to fork over much of his criminal empire, with some of the proceeds even going back to his victims. Delighted to be joined today by Eric Montalvo, decorated lawyer, defence lawyer, who is taking a major, major case against MTK Global and Daniel Kinahan. Um, for those that have followed the coverage here in Ireland, we have conducted a number of interviews with Eric uh, in the paper um, where we have updated people as to the progress of this case, which has been going on for some time now. But for those who aren't familiar, uh, firstly, I just want to say um, hello, Eric. How are you doing? Good afternoon. Uh, pleasure to be here. Thank you. Uh, it's great to speak to you on this podcast, uh, which is largely devoted to crime in Ireland. And uh, a lot of people are, are very interested in, um, you know, everything to do with the Kinahans and the investigations into them. Uh, and this this case that you're taking, I have to say, it's no small feat. Uh, it's something that you've been uh, am I right in saying two years now involved with? That's correct. Yes, two two years. Um, so yeah, I just want to just want to get our listeners kind of up to speed. Obviously, you represent um, the Heredia family, and they they run a uh, they, they're boxing promoters. Am I correct? And they rep- they were representing a boxer by the name of jo- uh, Jojo Diaz. Uh, quick clarification. So they're yeah. Um, Boxing managers. Managers, okay. okay. Right. So they were the managers of, uh, you know, specifically uh, Moses Heredia was the manager. His brother uh, was helping. Um, and uh, Jojo Diaz was the boxer. Yes. Right. Um, and effectively, um, I, mean, I think I think we're fairly safe at this stage to say this. Uh, th- there were... Uh, breaches of contract that you're alleging in in that Mr. Diaz was effectively stolen from your clients by MTK Global and, and in turn Daniel Kinahan in that they effectively poached him and that there was a breach of contract there uh, is is your allegation and that's where this whole case kind of began am I right yeah I can give you a quick overview if you wanna yeah please because I, I just think it's I don't want to overly complicate it for people I think we just need to kind of maybe um, describe what the basics of the case are. Sure. So, um, as I'm sure everyone knows that has an interest in this matter, uh, MTK and Daniel Kinahan, um, with his leadership and guidance, <clears throat> was uh, developing quite a formidable uh, boxing uh, corporation. Uh, and uh, they were pushing a lot of money uh, around. And um, as I'm sure the listeners who are interested in this also know 
they targeted uh, Barry McGuigan um, and took a number of his fighters, uh, which resulted in some litigation in Ireland. <clears throat> so they took that model uh, and uh, brought it to the United States and targeted uh, this uh, world champion boxer, Jojo Diaz. Uh, having a, being a manager and acquiring or, or developing a, a uh, world champion from cradle to grave, if you will, uh, is, a, is a very um, seldom achieved uh, outcome. Uh, you know, there are a lot of things that can go wrong in a relationship. Uh, you know, as you look at uh, Barry McGuigan's you know, efforts over the years and, and his phenomenal success in the boxing world, uh, you know, that takes a lot of sweat, a lot of uh, effort, a lot of care. Uh, you don't achieve those things uh, overnight. Now, the same thing uh, stood for the Heredias. Uh, you know, they, you know, you know, spent time taking care of this young man, you know, bringing him up as an adult, um, you know, all of those things, uh, him on the right track. Uh, MTK targeted him, uh, threw a bunch of money at the young man, uh, and uh, the young man decided that, you know, the grass was greener, and he uh, announced publicly through social media that he was going to now be with MTK. <clears throat> the problems right. with that were <laughs> MTK is not a licensed manager. Um, the firm that represented him was not a licensed manager. He required to be licensed in the state of California. Um, they were doing manager level uh, activities, uh, which is clear from the evidence. And um, and what was interesting to me when I, when the case came to me, so the the, the Heredias came to me and said, you know, what do we do about this? And I said, well, I believe we can sue them, um, and we did. Uh, and one of the particular or unique characteristics of this lawsuit is that it's it's really not a breach of contract. Um, because a breach of contract is when two parties are in contract with each other and, uh, you know, there's a dispute. Uh, the, the issue with MTK is a tortious interference with the contract. So they came and interfered with an existing valid contract uh, without any rights or, or, or bases. And so that, that's the issue with MTK. Between the boxer and the manager, that would be the breach of contract or dispute. Uh, but the poaching issue is a tortious interference with contract, um, which is you're creating harm uh, and you're uh, of on the contractual relationship. The the more interesting thing to me became the when I reviewed the money movement and seeing how much money MTK was pouring into uh, the U.S. Uh, marketplace and what didn't appear to be quite a, that much going out. Um, and so, I, you know, my quick study of that, uh, and also my background as a former prosecutor, uh, led me to believe that, uh, you know, there was some money hanky-panky going on. And uh, <laughs> then I decided to move forward with uh, RICO, civil RICO. So in the United States, um, RICO was uh, the racketeering stuff that was mostly used to go after the old school mobsters, you know, uh, back in the day. Um, and uh, so uh, money laundering is an, uh, an important problem uh, that the U.S. and the world faces because when illegal money is moving without accountability, it can cause quite a bit of harm as, as we see in, in, in all sorts of things. So 
Um, when I looked at this, uh, the United States encourages people to some extent that, you know, if we don't catch it on the criminal side, you can also look at it. And if you see it on the civil side, you can bring those charges uh, or those complaints forward. And right. uh, so I did do that. That's a unique thing in the law. Usually you have to be a prosecutor to, to levy, you know, what are typically criminal charges. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I suppose we wouldn't be overly familiar with RICO charges here, but, you know, um, I, I just wanted to parallel that with, uh, at the moment, in in, in American media, uh, RICO charges are being sought against Donald Trump. Now, I know it's not exactly the same thing, um, but but it, it, it's a, it, maybe people might be familiar with reading about it there. But that is, I mean, in order to do that, you have to, am I right in saying, you've had to go and seek evidence um, of, of exactly that money laundering criminality uh, and you have to be able to bring that before a judge. Right. So there are stages in this process um, and, you know, RICO is meant to be an aggressive statute because it, it allows for, it, you know, an expansive review of financial dealings. Um, and so what they do on the criminal side as a prosecutor, when you, you make an accusation, it opens the door to the type of investigation that you can do, you know, in terms of bank accounts and, and you know, offshore and this and properties and all of that. So, you know, that's one they're trying to use a, a, a wide net to go after Trump, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. here, this is not meant to be a wide net. It was it was a very uh, specific um, effort. Be, you know, part of the thing is, is, you know, Mr. Kinahan and his crew came to the table in the United States already being accused of quite a number of things. Um, you know, I mean, the, the country of Ireland, you know, uh, you know, Italy, uh, you know, various countries around the world had already considered uh, Mr. Kinahan to be involved in the money laundering undertakings. And so, and, you know, MTK was clearly connected to him. Tyson Fury clearly connected to him, you know, so the, the, the universe of stuff that we're talking about was already well widely known. Um, and then just with a little bit further investigation, it, it was pretty obvious to me that this existed. Yeah. Fortunately for me, about a year later, the U.S. government then put him on the on the Treasury list. And so, you know, they validated, you know, my concerns. You know. Yeah, well, I, I was just going to say that, I mean, the, uh, maybe one of the major breaks here for you was that development um, in, in April of last year. Um, and just, just to remind people, not, I'm sure most people following this story know it at this stage, but obviously the sanctions that were imposed um, on Daniel Kinahan, his father and his brother, um, by the U.S. Treasury Department. Um, and, and I suppose that was an acknowledgement of sorts, wasn't it, by the U.S. government of the existence of the Kinahan cartel. I mean, you have it there now in bold black and white writing from your own government um, that they are a criminal cartel, and that that must hugely bolster your case. Well, I would tell you that not only the government, U.S. government doing that, uh, but the resulting actions that were taken by the Kinahan cartel uh, reinforced that. Uh, one, uh, MTK folded within, I would say, a month or two of you know, that announcement. And the only reason they would have done that is because they were connected to Daniel Kinahan and they knew it. Um, so, you know, that doesn't mean they, they have given up. They're, they're trying to do this in other ways, but, uh, you know, they certainly abandoned that effort because it was very obvious of, uh, regarding the connectivity. So to me, 
that was the most validating thing is when MTK had the full tent. You know, that was basically their admission that uh, that they were absolutely tied to Daniel Kinahan, and that uh, there was some some you know, hanky panky going on as far as the the money was concerned. So in terms of that, obviously your case is against MTK Global um, and Daniel Kinahan separately, right? But the, it's being it's been taken together as one case against both entities. In terms of their engagement, I mean, you mentioned, you've alluded to some of it there. How much engagement has there really been from Daniel Kinahan and indeed MTK Global in this case. I mean, I know that they they initially made representations, but am I right in saying really lately there has been virtually nothing from them in terms of trying to defend this case, defend themselves in this case, I mean? Right. So in the beginning, and so just to be clear, I brought suit against Golden Boy, who is a promoter, yeah. uh, MTK USA, uh mtk global daniel kinahan paul gibson so who's remaining in the case right now is mtk usa mtk global paul gibson and, and daniel kinahan um global uh, golden boy were, were in arbitration proceedings on that um <clears throat> so the the procedure here in the beginning was when i achieved service which so i achieved service i uh, put that into the federal court, and then, as you saw, I think it was a month or two after that is when the sanctions uh, uh, came from the U.S. government, the Treasury, so that once they realized where he was. Um, Just to explain to people, achieving service meant that the parties involved were notified officially of the proceedings against right. them. Right. In the United States, and it's similar everywhere, is that, you know, you can't sue someone unless they know about it. Mm-hmm. Um they have uh, ways that you can notify corporations or individuals if they're participating in business. And so we followed the law. Uh, we served them in Dubai. We served USA here in the United States and then and then uh, MTK Global. And because Daniel Kinahan had moved MTK Global uh, into Dubai along with Provellum. Uh, and I, there's another couple of uh, names over there. So, and so what we did was we served him in Dubai. Uh, they then contested the service and said, you didn't really do this right and I didn't do anything wrong. So Mr. Kinahan actually made a statement in, in the case defending himself saying that he was a victim. Uh, and then um, after the sanctions came along, uh, there was no engagement has been received further. I, I suspect that's because if they do engage, then um, their location will be revealed and they may be uh, arrested. So um, interesting. Um, may I ask you just how, and, and forgive me for asking very basic, I suppose, questions about the legal process, but I just want people to be able to understand how this works, like h- how that service would have been achieved. Would have that meant somebody physically, i.e. maybe yourself or a representative would have gone to Dubai and, and and effectively delivered that information, that that documentation to, I guess, a rep- representative or the persons themselves. Yeah. So each country is different, um, and each country has, uh, you know, treaties or agreements with the United States, you know, for how things are to proceed. Um, and we, the United States, requires you to comply with either the treaty or international law, basically the the country of origin. 
or where they are. So um, in Dubai, so Paul Gibson, for example, he's in Spain. And so we uh, found him at his residence and he got physically served uh, personally. So, uh, so that's, that's one way. Uh, Dubai is a little different. Uh, Dubai um, has compounds and is meant to um, be more guarded uh, and protective of especially people with high net worth. Uh, so access to them is much more restrictive, which is probably one of the reasons why he went there. Um, and so, you know, we were able to serve him at the corporate headquarters and, and um, you know, uh, which was proper. And then we also followed up with there's notice in the, uh, in the newspaper you can do as a secondary. So we did both of those. Ah, okay. Right, so he could have been picking up the newspaper and discovered it that way. Right, that's correct. Wow. Well, that's interesting. And, and I suppose, as you say, there's been no real engagement from Kinahan since, possibly because he doesn't want to give up his location. And obviously, uh, there is an effective bounty on his head, I suppose, whatever way you want to put it, uh, is in the U.S. government have a reward out for information that might lead to his prosecution. So obviously, he's in serious hot water. Where does that leave your case then? Because obviously it has to progress through the courts in California, as the, the U.S. District of California, am I right in saying? And, you know, uh, I know that you've been in and out of court and you've had to notify the judge of all of the developments. Where would you say the case is now? I mean, where, especially with the lack of engagement from the other side. Sure. So um, <clears throat> because... Um... So the steps are, they are notified, and then uh, they have an opportunity to either raise motions, which is dispute that that's a valid lawsuit or the service was wrong or stuff like that. And then <clears throat> there's an opportunity to answer. So, you know, this wasn't me or it was me or, you know, you got the facts wrong and, and we have a defense or a counterclaim or something along those lines. So if you don't defend your claim, uh, you can place be placed in what's called default, and default means that you are not um, you're not contesting the issue, and yep. therefore we find fault here. So there are two levels of default. First is the clerk's default, which we have on all of the um, the defendants of the case, and and the reason that there we do this, there's a rule that you have to bring all of the known. Uh, bad actors or or people you believe that did something wrong in, in that are known to you in one case. And that's for efficiency. They don't want you doing like one case against MTK USA, one case against MTK Global, one case against Canada, because it's all the same facts. So mm -hmm. everything is connected there, uh, as everybody knows. And so um, it doesn't make sense for court efficiency and, and we would have problems um, if, if we didn't bring them all at once. So that's why they're all there together. Um, and they're all being, they have all been placed into default uh, by the clerk. That's not the judge. That's not default judgment. It's just that they have failed to respond as required by the rules. And so I'm in, in the position right now where we're conducting some discovery to uh, address the amount of damages we believe we should um, receive as a result of the actions that were taken. And, uh, and then once we present that, the judge will make a determination and de decide if we've you know, met our burden 
uh, for that and, and then award any damages if, if appropriate. Right. And have you, uh, I suppose, a, a figure in mind uh, in terms of damages that you're, that you're seeking against uh, Kenahan and MTK? Uh, I think I've stated before, you know, the, the previous range I was using was on an order of uh, between 15, 20 million. Um, you know, I, I'm, you know, we're evaluating that uh, to make sure that, you know, I, I, I've got to be able to walk into a courtroom and tell the judge, you know, this is, you know, why I believe this number is appropriate. So anyway, I, you know, we're working on that. And uh, when we get there, you know, we'll file the appropriate papers and, and, and obviously, I mean, people might ask the question, you know, if you win this case and, and say 40 million in damages is sought from MTK, they'll ask the question, well, how are you going to get that money? They're not going to give it to you. Um, am I right in saying that, you know, your hope is, I mean, obviously there there are assets that have been seized uh, by the US government already. Your hope is to recuperate the damages from those assets which have already been seized. Sure. So the interesting intersection between crime and civil litigation, criminal civil litigation, is that you know, um, RICO is a crime. Uh, my clients have been a victim of a crime. There, there are potential assets to be recovered that are that are being held uh, and in various jurisdictions. Yeah. And uh, you know, you know, like he had a house in in Dubai. Um, so. You know, we we're not looking to take over his empire. We just, you know, what we're talking about is really inconsequential uh, to his the value of his, you know, uh, you know, empire. So, I mean, he's probably in the billions. You know. Yeah. Do Do you understand that house to have been seized? Well, I think it's if it hasn't been, it will be. Uh, you know. So the, these are right. the things that we would be going after. Right. So there's a collection process. So first we get judgment and then we would do uh, judgment enforcement. So first, you know, I don't want chicken egg, but, you know, that's the procedure is if, if you get a judgment, if we're fortunate enough to get a judgment of a substantial amount, then then it's up to us to uh, find those assets and, and uh, enforce it against them. Sure. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, and obviously, like this has been a bit of a journey for you as well in that uh, I would imagine you've learned an awful lot in the last two years about the uh, about the Kinahans, how they operate, but also the uh, amount of harm that they've inflicted uh, on families, um, uh, you know, especially in, in Ireland. I mean, our listeners would be familiar, obviously, with the Kinahan Hutch feud where 18 people were murdered, um, 16 of which you could say were murdered by the Kinahan cartel. Um, and you, I mean, we publicized this at one stage, you traveled to Ireland and you met with um, one of the families, uh, it, One of, uh, well, I understand you met a couple of people, but you, you met uh, the Barr family. So that is the family of, of Michael Barr, just to remind people that, that Michael was murdered um, as part of the feud. He was, he was a barman in the Sunset House pub there in the inner city and he was shot dead um, by the Kinnahans. Um, and and he was a he was a Republican. He was blamed for involvement in the Regency Hotel attack. Although the Kinnahans 
you know, they were operating off their own information. That's never been proven to be the case, but they, they didn't care. They just murdered him. Um, but you, uh, you met the Barra family. Uh, so you, you got a face-to-face um, meeting and kind of you were able to, I suppose, learn directly from them the impact uh, of all of that on them and their family. And may I just ask you about that? Because why was it important for you to do that firstly? And then I suppose just what was that experience like? Crime, it's synonymous with with pain and suffering. Uh, Someone is causing you some harm, either physically, financially, emotionally. Um, And the loss of a child uh, is probably the highest level of pain you can endure as a human being because age is supposed to be the one to take you out, not uh, some random act of violence. So as a prosecutor dealing with, you know, rape and murder and then all of these horrible things, um, it, is, it is always difficult to hear, you know, the people that have been left in the wake of that crime, uh, what they're confronting, how they're dealing with that and, and the, the lack of justice. Uh, and so the, the issue ultimately in society is if we have the rule of law, then there has to be some justice. There has to be accountability and uh, Kinahan, the Kinahan cartel with the amount of money that they have has been able to thus far, you know, been a- escape that ultimate accountability. Now, I think it's breaking down over time. I think the governments are, are, are gaining speed here and, and, and the noose is getting tighter. <clears throat> so I feel like there will be accountability uh, in the near future. But, you know, for the families, you know, it's um, it's an empty promise until it, it occurs, uh, you know. And and I I I'm very uh, empathetic and sympathetic to those families. Uh, I lost uh, my friend when I was uh, 12 years old. Uh, we were in Catholic school, and he was um, stabbed to death. Um, so you know, I I understood pain of loss, you know, very early. And that's why I wanted to be a victim advocate. That's why I don't like. Uh, criminal activity. Uh, and, um, you know, it was important for me, you know, the ready has expressed the deep concern that, you know, if we get proceeds, you know, we need to help where we can, you know, some of these families uh, deal with, with, with the wake of, of this, uh, you know, debacle, despicable uh, conduct. So, I mean, you know, I, I it, you know, it, just being a lawyer is one thing, but trying to make things right where you can, and help where you can um, is important as, as you know, part of this human society. So, so that's why that was important. Um, it's important to the Red as it was important to me uh, to, to make sure that, uh, you know, this is not a money grab, this is accountability time. Uh, and sometimes the only way you can get that on the civil side is through, you know, compensation. So uh, maybe help out the kids. Or- I think that's an incredible gesture, obviously. I mean, you know, the the toll that the Kinnans have left in their in their wake, I mean, it's insurmountable. It, it, the, the amount of families that have been affected by it and the communities uh, in the inner city that have been affected by the violence. So it's great to hear that they, uh, if they do recuperate damages, this, this 40 million figure or whatever it might end up being, that they will... Um, use some of that money to, to help those families, which is great. I mean, um, obviously, I don't know if that was the original intention, but when, when you went and met with some of these families, there was 
very much a feeling then of we need to do something. Am I right? We need to be able to help these people. Well, I I would say that actually very early on when we started talking about whether we could succeed, because in the beginning, the success was not not as clear. Um, you know, yeah. I was fighting, you know, a lot. Uh, the U.S. boxing uh, community had welcomed MTK with open, open arms. Uh, Daniel Kinahan was, was openly and notoriously, you know, advocating on behalf of boxers, showing up at events, you know, so there was a lot of, you know, who the hell is Montalvo and what are you even talking about? And, and you're, you know, you're, you know, sm smoking some happy pipe over there, you know, thinking you're going to do anything here. And then once, once it, once it started uh, building momentum and, and especially when the sanctions came along, you know, it, it changed the outlook, you know, the probability of success, you know, increased a, a bit more, uh, obviously. And, um, you know, then it was like, well, if we do collect money, you know, what do we do with it? Right. Uh, can, can we make some of this right here? Because there's been a lot of harm. There's been a lot of harm. I mean, um, yeah, just a lot of harm. And and there have been, you know, innocent people. I mean, no one deserves to be murdered. And in it, uh, I think we, we've said this on this podcast before that every victim, in a sense, is innocent. You know, no one deserves to be murdered. Um, but but I suppose there were some particularly raw cases in this feud where uh, individuals were caught in the crossfire, so to speak. Uh, there was another uh, man by the name of Trevor O'Neill who was just um, wrong person, wrong time, uh, out on holidays in Majorca and he was just brutally murdered and he wasn't even the target. Um, I, I know you maybe necessarily haven't spoken to every family involved, but you, you've definitely got a sense um, that there are some people here who are, who are just totally innocent victims in, in the midst of all this. And is, is the aim ultimately to help those people? Is that the aim? Sure. I mean, it's um, I'm there here to judge, you know, what mm -hmm. they did or didn't do before they got killed um you know that that's not where i'm i'm coming from i'm right. not going you know uh you know we'll, we'll the idea is we'll create a fund um you know okay. and, and um you know try to sort that stuff out and, and be fair and um you know and, and that you know we're the readies are not greedy they're giving people uh they they gave everything to this young man. Um, if you, you know, if you people who listen to this were do some research, you know, look at uh, Jojo Diaz's career before he went to MTK and look at him after. And this mm -hmm. is the same thing that happened to fighter after fighter after fighter. They ruined these young men. Uh, they, they totally messed up their careers. Um, they took them off course, uh, you know, so there the, are fighters that are victims, there are families that are victims. I mean, uh, Barry McGuigan is, and his family, you know, was victimized by these uh, people. So, uh, you know, the, 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 they have really just, they, they tainted and they, they destro destroyed, you know, aspects of the boxing community that are still re trying to recover. And these are young men that are marginalized. You know, boxing is not, um, you know, an easy thing to get into. You know, you're going into a ring, you're putting your physicality in, in jeopardy every time you walk into the ring. Somebody's trying to take your head off. You don't know how long you're going to last as a career, and you're not getting big paydays, you know. And so it, there's a lot of suffering, there's a lot of investment, and there's not a lot of success. Uh, you know, even 
you know, just even if you're the best boxer, you may not get the, the title because there's still a, a fair amount of corruption. So, you know, th th they came in and really um, had a, a, an adverse impact that is deep within the, the boxing industry and, and, and is, is going to take a long time to recover. So there's just so many levels of corruption from the drug dealing that creates the source of the money and, and the gang violence, you know, to the, you know, actual you know, when they when they try to become legit and and ruin, um, you know, almost an entire industry. So it's it's really all encompassing for me. I, I, I think what's and I wouldn't be an expert on boxing, but I, I've learned a lot about boxing through covering the Kinahans. Um, and I, I think what maybe sickens me, I'm just giving you my personal opinion now, but it, it's amazing how much money talks, you know, and and. Money went a long way. The Kennehans, as you as you've alluded to, they were able to just throw money at people and and own them and and own the sport. Uh, Daniel Kennehan Kinahan came in out of effectively nowhere with a tiny gym there in Marbella, uh, and suddenly became, you know, the guy that's arranging massive fights for Tyson Fury. You know, and Tyson Fury is calling him out on. On, on in, a, in a video, you know, on social media, thanking him. I mean, the biggest boxer in the world, you know. I mean, that's the level of influence this guy had. And you had huge individuals in the sport. Uh, I won't start naming names or get myself into trouble, but, but uh, lauding him and saying he was the best thing that's ever happened until the shit hit the fan and the sanctions were announced by the US government and that was it. But up until then, so many people just seemed to turn a blind eye. And I just wonder, like, from your client's point of view you know does that disgust people like them that just unfortunately there were so many people big big names in the sport who were willing to effectively turn a blind eye i think or or just weren't willing to accept when it when the question because many of them had the question put to them you know this person's being accused of being a mob boss and running a cartel and ah, there's no proof there's no proof until the sanctions came out so has that been incredibly frustrating for the heridias i know it has been for barry mcguigan that so many people, big names in the sport, as I say, just weren't willing to see it for what it was and wanted to look the other way. You know, um, money can be a very evil thing. Uh, and uh, I think that, you know, to to give some credit to Mr. Kinahan, um, he stumbled upon a, a, a very interesting and uh, effective way to money launder um you know what he saw in the boxing community is you know there are a bunch of people that are marginalized uh, most of them are not well educated financially uh there's there's uh you know feast and famine uh cycles between the fights um you know they get some burst of money and then they they, they don't manage it well and and so they're they're scrambling to take care of their families. I mean, th these are real human beings with families and lives. And so he was able to exploit an industry that doesn't manage money well. Um, and, uh, you know, it, and puts a, a, an improper emphasis, I think, on flash and, and all of these things, because if you're not out there and driving a nice car, then you, you're not as successful, you know, all of this, you know, sort of quasi-entertainment, you know, nonsense. And so, um, you know, he, he, he's, he, the beauty is, is that fi fighters are, it's like art, um, you know, like Kinahan's also, you know, investing a lot in, in the art industry, uh, in the art segment where he's, um, 
you know, buying up a lot of art and, and boxers are like art. You know, if I say that Mike Tyson should make a comeback at whatever age he is, and I'm going to spend $10 million to make that happen. It's my money. Nobody's going to second guess that because I seize value in, in Mike Tyson. So in that respect, when you're buying up all of these fighters, it was very easy to see and say, well, kid's a world champion. If I want to throw extra money at him, you know, to, to do whatever that, you know, nobody's really questioning that. So it's almost hiding in plain sight or that's exactly mm-hmm. what's happening. And so, and there's a, so much money that's running through the boxing community. That's really unregulated in the way that it needs to be. Um, and, and Kinahan's not alone. I think he probably picked up some, some tips from, you know, like the Mexican cartels, right? I mean, you know, I mean, Mexico is another problem area for fighters. I mean, it's one of the number one, you know, uh, you know, a development places for, for potential fighters in the world. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can't imagine that, um, you know, there isn't a lot of stuff going on down there as well. So, I mean, I think yeah. he saw a model um, and he had the money and he applied it in a way and it, and it, it, it made immediate impact and he liked it and it was, it put him centerpiece and, and, uh, and nobody was questioning it because, you know, when they're spending the money, as long as they don't know for sure, why do they care? You know, they're, they, yeah. they have more money than they did before he got there. So, yeah, it, it made a big difference. Yeah. Um, may, I, may I ask you, obviously, in terms of the case now, I know, I know you've, you've alluded already to, the, to where it is, but are you reasonably confident at this stage now that you'll be able to actually win this case, that, that, that you will effectively? And, and I know... There's a timeline for everything so far. I mean, I, I think we're in the closing stages really now of this. I, I, I feel confident that we'll be able to demonstrate that the heritages were harmed and some amount of financial damage and and, uh, and then get to a default judgment. Yes, I, I'm fairly confident of that. Do you, in terms of a timeline, do you, I mean, obviously it's the, the judge has to look at everything, but where do you think we're, we're months away or where do you think we are in the timeline of that now? You know, I... I I always think that things are going to happen faster than they do in reality. So I, you know, I would expect early next year we should be at a point where we're waiting for the judge to make his final determination. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, it's it's been a it's been a long journey for you. you you've been all over the world with this. Um, may I just ask you about the personal toll of it on you? I mean, has I, I know you've 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 done many other cases, but has this been? Has this been the most challenging case you've ever taken? What's the toll of it like for you? Having, I mean, I'm sure it's very stressful um, having to deal with this and, and also dealing with major crime figures. You know, I suppose there's a safety concern there too. Sure. Um, you know, I think, um, you know, remember I did 21 years in the Marine Corps um, mm. involved in, in Guantanamo stuff. So you know, walking that that uh, path, um, dealing with, um, you know, terrorists and, and all of that stuff. So I'm, I'm not saying I'm immune to it, uh, you know, because my firm's also exposed, uh, you know, to, to these things as well. Um, I, I, yeah, it's extraordinarily stressful. Um, and uh, it's not a case where I'm going down the street and having a conversation. Um, the evidence of this is is uh, in the world, um, and uh, so I've got to manage that. I've got to manage my expectations, and you know we've stayed focused uh, 
you know, there have been difficulties that we've overcome, you know, time and time again. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a bit hard headed. So, yeah, it's stressful. Um, it's uh, it, it does take a toll, but uh, the reward, not financial, but the outcome of, of holding someone accountable, an organization accountable for, for doing this sort of thing to people and families and all that is, is really what, what gets me going. So um, I look forward to getting some resolution here. And may I ask you, and fair enough, you don't want to answer this necessarily, but have you had concerns for your own safety in relation to this? Have you had any one threaten you in relation to taking this case at any point? I mean, you know, whatever has been communicated to me, I take with a grain of salt. So, I mean, you know, it's just sort of, you know, you guys are familiar with fighting. You know, if you're going to fight, you throw the punch, you don't talk about it. So, you know, I, I, I think that this is business. It's it's not, um, I didn't take a shot at anyone. Uh, I didn't accuse him of doing these crimes. I You know, th these are things that preexisted me. I, I didn't start this fight, right? So I'm sort of a, an interloper in a much bigger question uh, for countries and, and, and parties and such. So I, I, I just... Relatively speaking, any any beef that they've sent my way, I think is more of a new. I'm, I'm more of a nuisance than than a, than a problem for them. Um, <clears throat> and they don't care. They've got bigger fish to fry than me, so I'm not really that worried about it. But you have got you, you have gotten some. I've gotten some snippets, but I mean, you know, it just yeah. Again, you got to take it the grain of salt nobody's showing up at my door telling me something it's usually third fourth hand you know coming through some some surrogate so mm. you know but whatever uh you know the the thing is they're they're still operating right they're still working through other entities and and trying to accomplish the same uh, outcome so with, that's interesting to me that they haven't given up so and, and I, again, forgive me. I, I'm, I'm just being a nosy journalist here, really. But I want to. I just want to highlight, if possible, Eric, and, and tell me if you don't want to necessarily give this too much credit. But I want to highlight, you know, the kind of scumbags that we're dealing with here. In that, what be it whatever means that that they're communicating with you. Obviously, you've been getting a bit of hassle. I mean, are you getting? Uh, what are we talking here in terms of uh, as a taunts or direct threats from anonymous people or from uh, someone who claims they represent or what what kind of what kind of abuse has been leveled your way well we'll talk about that another day i, I just it, it's just not it's for me right now it's, it, that will cause probably more harm than good uh getting into all that so <clears throat> just suffice it to say you know there's always noise um I, I believe it to be a distraction and not something that I'm focused on. Yeah, no, that's okay. And I, look, that's, I hope you understand why I'm asking you that, but I understand what, yeah, I, I, I understand why you wouldn't want to give it too much credit either. Um, so just in, in terms of, you know, Daniel Kinahan himself, what way do you think he views this case? Do you think he has at any point taken it seriously or, or, or do you think he's even given it a second's thought, really? Well, I think in the beginning he was ready to uh, to fight it. Um, mm. I will tell you that this was not the first case. Uh, Barry McGuigan, you know, 
had what 10 fighters i think in his stable that uh, were taken uh, at least that i'm aware of and so and all of that was litigated um and as i recall i think they sued baron mcguigan uh as well uh so there was a lawsuit out there so you know the 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 um the approach of of going after aggressively the fighters and then also suing the manager is uh something that they developed in in europe in in ireland and then they took that model and brought it to the united states because uh, as you recall they sued uh the heredias um initially that's where this all started but but somewhere along the line here he hasn't been able to fight back legally anyway um be it for whatever because of the treasury right because in, yeah. in the beginning the, the model was working right because they could fund this openly and pursue things uh now with the treasury issue it's it's put a freeze on cash flow into the united states so um so they, they have a problem now because they can't accomplish the same you know methodology and they're on the run so yeah. uh, that's much more serious I, yeah, I just want to finish with this because obviously you, you have a greater insight uh, into this um, than maybe I would, but obviously Daniel Kinahan is under investigation from the, the DEA um, and you know the, we know we know historically the DEA get their man. Where, where do you see this investigation end, ending up? Do you think he's in a lot of, a lot of trouble there? Well, I, I will say as a uh, you know as a defense counsel, everyone's innocent until proven guilty. So you know um, you know I I, I don't believe personally that he is innocent, but, um, you know, he's entitled to some process, right? Uh, you know, it, it, you know, the, the thing that we started with is you go down the street and you start shooting bullets based off what you'd think happened. That's not what we want here. And I, I don't want to become part of that, right? This is not uh, mob mentality. So um, I, I feel like at some point he will be uh, brought to justice um and he'll have his opportunity to dispute the accusations against him um and we'll see what happens there uh, but uh i feel like when it comes to this sort of stuff the federal government here you know despite everything else that's going on this this is a strength that the united states has uh the war on drugs has been going on for decades uh so there's a there's a very there's a high level of sophistication uh, when it comes to this sort of stuff, and I feel pretty confident that they'll, if they can get him, they'll get him, and then he'll be brought to justice and then adjudicated in some way, shape, or form um, if he's found guilty. So, you know, so it's serious. Uh, if he is, you know, arrested, uh, he's going to have to to confront it. But right now, he's 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 not been, and mm. so, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm curious about that. I mean, obviously, we don't know exactly where he's located at the moment, but I mean, we've seen other high profile um, mobsters being extradited from, or being um, arrested and, and removed from the UAE. Um, yet Daniel Kinahan hasn't been yet for whatever reason. Um, but, you know, our own police force here, uh, the head of our, our own police force here on, on Gary Chiacana <clears throat> has said that, that he sees the Kinahans most likely being prosecuted in another jurisdiction. And, and by that, he really means the United States. The, certainly the feeling from, you know, sources here is that whilst there are investigations into Daniel Kinahan here, they do feel that, that it's more, more likely that this is going to end up in an American court at some stage. And that's just due to the power of, of, of your system over there um, and your government. I mean, I think once uh, they get involved, 
as I said, they get their man. I think our police force is somewhat restricted, you know, but we have been able to to work with other countries. And I, I think that's possibly the secret to their downfall, you know. I'm, I'm giving you a commentary here rather than a question, but I, I imagine that, that, that you feel the same way, that um, the involvement of, of, of the DEA, your own government, uh, is a massive, massive step. Well, the United States obviously brings a tremendous amount of resource to the problem, you know, so uh, and capability. Uh, that is, you know, I, I think London has started to get involved as well. So, um, and I think a cooperative, you know, what, what you'll see when you have big uh, persons like this that are seized or, or, or arrested, um, you know, you get, uh, you know, the first prosecution is the most important one because that sets a foundation and then other jurisdictions may get him you know, to prosecute him for, for other things. So um, I feel like, yeah, the United States would probably be first up uh, in some sort of money laundering uh, and drug involvement uh, prosecution, sort of El Chapo style. And then, and then you know, the other countries, you know, would uh, support that and then may, may pursue charges on their own uh, at some point. So, yeah, I, I do think that's how it's going to go. We'll have to see. Um, Eric, really appreciate your time. Thank you for talking to me. Um, and, and hopefully the next time we're talking about this, it's, uh, it's good news and uh, you win your case. I really hope that you do. Um, I probably shouldn't be imparting so much bias, but I, I definitely think uh, that, that most people will be supporting you and backing this case. Um, so uh, thanks very much for your time. No, I appreciate it. Thank you, sir.